Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Hello and welcome to a July 20th Wednesday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And today I am happy to be joined by Kevin Pelton from ESPN Insider, uh, Seattle, Seattle fan, Seattle Sonics fan, Seattle native. Kevin, how are you? I'm good. I, I feel... Let's go with just like Northwest basketball because I, I feel like I don't want to sell my friends in Portland short. But you know what? You, and, and, and you have been covering the Blazers for a long time. You've been coming here uh, covering all the games. So yeah, yeah. Northwest basketball uh, coverage master expert and MB, general NBA expert of the Northwest, Kevin Pelton. Uh, so I, I want to ask, cause it's the first question I've been asking all of my guests so far this summer since I started hosting the podcast and I'm going to ask you it's about Jake Lehman, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> the, yeah, everyone wants to know the, the, the Jake Lehman scouting report, but, uh, I, we're going to start off with the marquee signing of the off season for the Blazers. Evan Turner, you had some interesting things to say about the signing on ESPN Insider. So I guess before uh, – so let's just get into what you think about the signing of Evan Turner and what he brings to the Blazers. Yeah, so suffice it to say I'm not the most popular man in Tualatin at this point based on uh, my opinion of the Evan Turner signing. I mean, I, I think like everyone else, my first reaction was kind of, huh? Because it, it didn't seem like the kind of player that they were going to go after in terms of a fit, going after a guy who needs the ball in his hands when you already have Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. I mean, you know, talking casually with Terry Stotts and just hearing kind of the Blazers organization's explanation of it, I mean, it does make sense that they want additional playmaking, that they felt that it was kind of too much responsibility on Lillard and McCollum to do all of that because of the fact that they didn't really have anyone else that was that comfortable with their ball in their hands. And uh, one of the things I went back to afterwards is, you know, I criticized when the Blazers signed Andre Miller. My, I didn't like that fit because they already had Brandon Roy at that point is the, the ball dominant guard. And it turned out that those two guys figured out a way to coexist and that the Blazers were able to take advantage of the fact that they had another ball handler on the court with Roy. In this case, I think the big difference is, you know, my headline for that Andre Miller signing was uh, good player, wrong team or something like that. Whereas I'm just not a believer in Evan Turner. I mean, he rehabilitated his image the last couple of years in Boston. But even then, you look at his advanced stats, they weren't that impressive. He's not an efficient scorer. The Celtics offense generally did not play that well with him on the court. I just think when you have the ball in his hands, you're kind of putting a limit to how good your offense can be even when he's playing with guys like Lillard and McCollum off the ball. Yeah, you made a great point that I, I think we should highlight because one of the things that's been highlighted about him is kind of his individual assist percentage and him being able to rack up individual assists. So talk about what 
you mean when the offense wasn't really playing well with him on the court for people that may not uh, may not you know may be confused about that? Yeah, I mean, looking at the uh, the team offensive rating, team points per hundred possessions, and then obviously he was playing with you know guys like Marcus Smart and you know often Avery Bradley. Their second unit backcourt in Boston was not very good offensively, which is the reason that they turned to Evan Turner and put the ball in his hands and let him be the guy for them offensively. But even when you adjust for the other players on the court in some in for example ESPN's real plus minus which uses the uh, the adjusted plus minus component as part of that uh, along with his own individual box score stats that still shows him is not not having that positive an impact on offense and, and, and defensively has been another area where it, it's been pointed you know that have the Blazers front office when the explaining the move kind of pointed to to as a reason to bring Turner in, what do you think about him defensively? Is he an upgrade from Alan Crabb? Is he, I mean, where do you stand with him as far as a defender, uh, what he brings to the table? Because obviously the Blazers have not had a lot of success defending the perimeter much, uh, recently. Yeah. I mean, I'd put him in somewhat the same category as Alan Crabb defensively. I think, you know, two guys who are both, neither of whom are premier defenders, but I don't think either of them are liabilities defensively. I think they're, they're closer to average. And, you know, Turner was able to, to stay on the court and, and be successful defensively for them in the playoffs against Atlanta when he ended up playing a lot of minutes for them with Avery Bradley out of the lineup. Uh, I, I think the one thing he brings over Crab is he's a little bit bigger at 6'7", so he's more naturally a guy who's going to defend you know, small forwards in addition to shooting guards. But I, I don't think he's as, quite as good defensively probably as Maurice Harkless. Yeah, and and Harkless is a guy. I guess we can that you know you you kind of led us into that. He's still a guy that they haven't signed. Um, and th- do you think there's even more of a role for him now with uh, on the team? Because it, there's going to start Aminu at four, and it seems like they're kind of going to this small ball identity if they if they're really going to commit to Aminu at four all the time. Yeah, and I mean I, I think then in that scenario Turner is more or less taking the minutes that Gerald Henderson was playing at the end of last season. I mean he'll probably play more than Henderson did, so you know one of Crab or Harkless is probably going to feel the pinch there in terms of their minutes. But you also might want to cut back on the minutes Lillard and McCollum play a little bit if you don't feel like you have to you know extend those guys as much because of the fact that you've got Turner is a secondary ball handler. So you know I think at this point I'd still be surprised if Harkless wasn't in Portland next year, even though he's unsigned, but you know, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. It, it's all, it's always a, you know, restricted free agency. They usually end up coming back, but it's uh, you know, it's still kind of uncertain because it has happened before. How, uh, the Blazers obviously made another signing in the off season there, or at least made another acquisition of a player that was on another team. They obviously brought back Myers Leonard and they brought back crab, but they brought in Festus Azili, which, you know, it seemed like it was a pretty valuable deal. What do you think he brings? And do you think he has a chance? Do you think he's going to start for them? Or do you think he's kind of going to be, you know, more situational uh, as a player? Uh, it's interesting. I had this conversation uh, earlier on a podcast. I, I don't think he'll end up starting because I, I think Plumley fits so well with Lillard and McCollum in terms of running the pick and roll. If those guys are going to get trapped, particularly Lillard, you need Plumley's playmaking. That's not something that Azili does as well. We saw that, quite frankly, when he was playing for the Warriors against the Blazers in the playoffs last year, where, you know, when Portland did trap Steph Curry, that's when, you know, Golden State has to bring up someone else to, to short 
the pick and roll in that their terminology to, to then set him up on the roll or something like that. He's not going to put the ball on the ground and then find a teammate in the same way that Plumlee will. But he definitely brings you a new element at the defensive end of the court. I mean, the Blazers' rim protection was pretty good in the regular season, but then fell off dramatically during the playoffs. And you also saw guys like Plumlee and maybe to a lesser extent Ed Davis, really, really more Plumlee, uh, struggle to finish against guys like Festus Azili in that Warriors-Blazers series. So you saw the value of, of rim protection really at both ends of the court. And, uh, you know, if, if Azili is healthy, he's going to be by far Portland's best defensive option at center, and I think that's going to earn him a chance to finish some games, even if he doesn't necessarily start them. I guess one one maybe place with uh, Azili that I I think that the Turner thing maybe makes a little bit more sense is if you take Plumlee out of the lineup, maybe you have another playmaker and you can get things that way. Whereas if you have Plumlee in there and then you take him out and you put in or you put in Myers Leonard, whatever you have, whatever you want to do, you can have another person that can make plays that doesn't necessarily have to be just CJ and Dan. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because last year. Uh, by far, I think Plumlee was their third best playmaker after the two guards. You know, it, it wasn't guys like Crab and, and Harkless and Aminu weren't making plays nearly as much as he was. One one topic that I've also kind of thought about a lot is you know we mentioned that Turner's going to take minute probably going to take minutes away from either Crab or Harkless, and but I think one question is is. I, I don't I don't I don't necessarily see Turner starting. I know that there was a lot of the reports early, but I, I guess the question is, what do you think is more valuable around Lillard and McCollum? Is it the playmaking that Turner could provide, or is it the spacing that Crab could provide with the ability to shoot? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Where I think probably it's going to be Crab is that guy, unless they really see Turner as a much better defensive option. I mean, and then it could still be Harkless. I mean, that's you know still a lineup that was very successful for them at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. So. You know, uh, Terry Stotts is going to have his work cut out for him, for certain. I mean, you'd, you'd rather have more talent than less. That's that's certainly a good problem to have. But there are so many options. And then, uh, you know, the situation where each of these guys brings a skill that they have that maybe no one else has who's competing with them, but you're sacrificing something else. So, you know, with Crab, it's shooting. With Turner, it's playmaking. Uh, Harkless, I guess it's more size and rebounding ability to chip in with Amino. And then you look at the front court, you got Plumlee's playmaking, Ed Davis's finishing and his offensive rebounding, and then you've got Azili's rim protection. So there's going to be a lot of difficult choices. And uh, in some ways, I think Stotts' job is actually going to be more difficult this year than it was last year, despite the number of new faces he had to integrate. Well, yeah, that, that, that's a good point. And, you know, you also it, it's the the new faces last year obviously was tough, but it, I felt like it was a little bit clearer what the the pecking order was on the team with everyone. And now you look at it and it's going to I know that the Blazers have always talked up, you know, their culture has been a, a strong point. Everyone points to Lillard being like a really strong leader, but it's going to be a lot harder to sell people on nights when because there's going to be a lot of nights where some of these guys aren't going to play at all. Yeah, and it's a different test. And then the interesting aspect of it is the fact that nearly all of these guys now have gotten paid. So depending on what happens, if Harkless comes back on the qualifying offer, then he's got a lot to prove in terms of his next deal. But you know, the, other than that, it's just Plumlee who could be a restricted free agent next year, assuming he's not extended uh, before the, the October 31st deadline. 
the other guys have gotten paid. So on the one hand, you could be saying, you know, it's, Alan, I'm, it's your Alan Crabb. You guys just paid me uh, upwards of $18 million a year. Like, I, I should be out there. I should be starting. You reasonably think that. Same with Turner, getting $70 million. At the same time, you don't have to worry about, okay, I'm not getting a chance to show what I do, and this is going to affect my pocketbook because of the fact that I don't have a contract. Yeah, that's a good point. The Blazers are paying quite a bit for this team. Uh, it looks like, I mean, if Cra- if Harkless gets anything around what a lot of wings have gotten on the market, it, I mean, they're almost certainly going to pay the tax this year. They're, they're, they're probably going to pay the tax this year, and they're definitely going to pay it next year, assuming they keep C.J. McCollum. Yeah. And, and and have to and have to pay him a, a max extension as well, uh, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you that Stotts' job is going to be uh, probably a lot harder this year. And also, yeah, I'm sure he really, I'm sure he really enjoyed Neil Olshay putting a 50 win, proje- 50, 50 mid 50s <laughs> win projection yeah. on him in the press conference. Uh, but I mean, do you think that? I mean, obviously, I, I, I think that Aminu at four is kind of the way to go for them. I, I, I do think it's going to be interesting too how they deal with the big men because you know the, there's just not enough minutes if they're really if they're going to take away that four spot from a big guy. Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think Myers Leonard's best position is probably the five in many ways, and you could say when he set, plays with Ed Davis, you know, who's the four, who's the five, offensively, defensively, it kind of interchanges a little bit, but. You know, now that you've got three guys, if you call Davis the center in that, you got three guys there. You got Aminu plus Davis and Noah Vonley. Let's not forget about him still in the mix. And he's another guy who, uh, he will, you know, it's not quite as uh, imminent for him, but he'll still be looking to prove his value in the league since he's, uh, you know, he'll be in the third year of his rookie contract. So he's in that mix too. And yeah, it's uh, going to be a lot of hard decisions. Yeah, uh, speaking of Vonley, did you did you see anything interesting from the Blazers at Summer League? I know he he was out there. Uh, he was kind of the marquee guy, but did you did anybody kind of stand out? It seemed like a kind of ho hum Summer League for the Blazers. Yeah, I think that was my assessment as well. I mean, first off, just in terms of the quality of the roster, since you didn't have a first round pick either from last year or this year out there, you know, Vonley, he's been in the league two years now he started much of last season we're not learning as much about what he can do so even though I think that there's probably still some value to him to being out there you know it's not the same kind of interesting experience from my standpoint uh you know soft flashes I think from Lehman and Connaughton uh would be the, the word I would use with both of those guys Connaughton had the the really big game against Utah that uh he won with the walk-off three-pointer in in double overtime sudden death baby it was I mean, the, the worst thing about Summer League is overtime because it just throws off the schedule and you're like, okay, we're, we're good. Let's move along here. But then when it goes to double overtime, best thing about Summer League. That was, the, <laughs> that was very interesting. I was sitting with my, uh, my cousin and her husband came to watch that game as fans, so I sat in the stands with them and watched it and uh, enjoyed that one. But, uh, yeah, I think flashes from both of those guys. So, And maybe the same thing from Montero, who may, I don't know, you know how – how much he needed to show in terms of thinking about his roster spot going forward. Uh, I mean, uh, it's going to be difficult for him, I think. You know, just a, there's a numbers crunch at some point if Harkless comes back. So we'll see. Yeah, I think he is – if they bring back Harkless, I think he's the 15th guy. But they don't really have a, a – as some people have pointed out, you know, they don't really have a vet on the roster. They don't have like that classic Blazers vet that they've kind of had during the Olshay era. And right now it's kind of like Ed Davis who's like – 
what is he? I think Davis is 28, 29. <laughs> and, and so he's kind of like the old head at this point on the team. So I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, Montero, I think they're going to give him a chance to make the roster, but I wouldn't say that his spot is secure by any stretch. All, all I know is that Ronnie Price is still a free agent. That's right. That's right. Uh, Dame, Dame loved him some Ronnie Price, and and I, I remember Dame's rookie year. Ronnie Price was on the on the Blazers, but I think we we kind of covered the 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 Blazers free agency. I mean, they're clearly. I don't know if there's a whole lot of analysis here, other than you know they're going to pay a lot for this team right now, uh, with as far as their cap sheets concerned. Yeah, and to go back to Harkless, I mean, the, the interesting opportunity, I think, is for someone to step in with a front-loaded offer sheet to Harkless that, you know, forces them into the tax this year, uh, means a high tax bill in 2017-18 for sure, and then, you know, maybe descends by the time you get to 2018-19, by which point money isn't quite as tight for the Blazers, I don't think, uh, you know, since just so many contracts are up by that point. There's so much to go between now and then. And then but, you know, who's going to offer that? The teams that were kind of in that market, it seems like most of them have already added combo forwards. Uh, you know, Denver drafted Hernan Gomez. Um, Minnesota drafted or signed Jordan Hill, kind of fills that power forward need. Looks like they're not really going to play with a, a small ball four. Phoenix signed Jared Dudley. But the one team that does leave out there is Brooklyn, after having both of their offer sheets matched already to Crab and then Tyler Johnson. They still have tons of cap space left, a pretty glaring hole at the power forward spot for them, although they signed uh, Luis Scola and Trevor Booker, and still about $18 million in cap space remaining if they wanted to make a run at Harkless. That's the one team I'd probably be worried about if I were the Blazers. Yeah, Brooklyn, yeah, they, they already came for, for Crab and... Yeah, no, Harkless makes a ton of sense for them. They got rid of Thad Young, so they don't really have a kind of a versatile 3-4 combo guy that they can throw out there. Uh, yeah, no, well, yeah, I guess we, we, it's still interesting to see the, the Harkless situation because I really thought you know he might have gotten – I thought he was going to be a guy that could make an, like an early offer for someone that may think that, you know, hey, okay, we don't have a chance at anybody that's, you know, very good. And it, it, it's just – it's kind of – it's really surprised me how long it's gone without an offer sheet for him. Well, it's a fascinating contrast between him and Crab. I mean, that was a big source of debate, I think, after the season. Who's the more valuable free agent? I, I was on Team Harkless there. And, you know, for whatever reason, I, I think mostly because of the fact that shooting was so such a scarce commodity in this year's market, you see the Crab bidding just go through the roof, and the Harkless bidding basically never happens. Yeah, no, and yeah, I guess and Harkless shot really well in the playoffs, but didn't really didn't really show it, and hasn't really shown it his entire career. So uh, yeah, the Harkless situation, it uh, it stays stagnant. It, it, we still have not heard anything. Jason Quick reported the other day that the Blazers aren't any closer with uh, Harkless for a deal, but uh, I think we can say that we we've covered the the, the free agent signings I think pretty well cuz we, you know the big man situation kind of speaks for itself and I guess one other big thing that happened in the Blazers offseason oh, another, another big free agent signing right yeah no, yeah a big free agent signing that happened before everything went down that you're familiar with was they they brought in former Sonics play-by-play man Kevin Calabro to uh be the play-by-play voice of the Blazers and that the the departure of the the Mike and Mike crew had a lot of people uh, in their fan, you know, st- feel, having strong feelings about that. And I, I also, you know, had strong feelings about that. But when they bring in Kevin Calabro, I mean, I, I've been listening to him only nationally. But, you know, can you tell us about, you know, what kind of guy the Blazers fans are going to be getting here uh, 
uh, as the new TV voice of the Blazers. Yeah, so, I mean, Calabro, basically as far back as I remember, was uh, at that point, you know, the radio and TV broadcaster for the Sonics since they simulcasted right up until 2006-07, I think, or 2005-06, one of those two. Uh, so I grew up listening to Calabro. He's the soundtrack of basketball to me, so I'm very biased here, and then also because of the fact that I've been fortunate to, you know, befriend him uh, working for the Sonics before they moved and, and now seeing him at, you know, UW games when he called those or when he came down to Portland for national games, uh, chatted with him a couple of times during the NBA finals and had the opportunity to uh, congratulate him on this position. So, you know, I, I certainly understand, you know, the sadness and I feel bad about it for uh, the, the Mikes and, and Antonio Harvey, who uh, were people that I had gotten to know over my time coming to games in Portland. So, you know, that's always a tough transition, but I hope people give Calabro uh, an honest chance to, to win them over and don't hold it against him. The fact that he's from Seattle, I don't think, you know, fortunately people have been good to me about that, not holding that against me, but because he's, he's a phenomenal NBA broadcaster and it's really what he was born to do. I mean, he's kind of, in some ways, I, I, you know, kind of been lost a little bit, I think, since the Sonics moved. He spent a year doing the Sounders play-by-play and that was a bit of an awkward fit and, uh, you know, both sides moved on after the first year of that. You know, he's done college basketball and, and that's entertaining. I, I enjoyed listening to uh, him doing games, but it's, it's not quite the same. And even the national games, you still don't have that same kind of uh, night in, night out, you know, the, the little things that build up, the catchphrases and things like that that you can have as someone who's a broadcaster for one team. I really, I really think this is an important position because when you think about it, you know, there's all of us writing and, you know, there's people doing podcasts and all of that. But the, the single voice you hear the most often as a fan uh, unless maybe if you're a season ticket holder and you're going to the, all the home games, the, the voice you hear the most as a fan is the play-by-play broadcaster. So it's a really important position, and uh, I, I think that he's going to just knock it out of the park because he, he's a phenomenal at what he does. Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm only really familiar with him for you know ever since he became the voice of ESPN Radio in the last few years, and you know I, I'll catch games in the radio a lot. And I guess one thing that I I'm not as familiar with I I've heard that his catchphrases can be a little wild. Uh, he kind of <laughs> lets it ri- he kind of lets it rip on the local side uh, from what I've from what I've read and heard about his his old Sonics days. Yeah, and this was also a younger Calabro, so I don't know if it'll be exactly the same now, but there was, you know, the uh, flying chickens in a barnyard and get on the magic carpet ride and, and all of that back in the day that, you know, I can, I can think of various specific Sean Kemp dunks to uh, go along with that. Him and Marcus Johnson was just a fabulous partnership when they were calling Sonics games in the, the mid-90s when that team was really, really good under George Carl and with Kemp and Peyton. So that it'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of broadcast partner because you want to have someone that can kind of keep up with Calabro and, and have a good time with him. And Marcus was great at that. Unfortunately, he's now uh, working with the Milwaukee Bucks with Gus Johnson where they've got one of the better local broadcasts in the league for sure. But, uh, you know, whatever the Blazers end up doing, I think, you know, they've shown a commitment to getting, uh, having you know, the, the, the best broadcast I think they can get after, uh, after making this change. Yeah, no, they definitely uh, are, are going to, they're, they're not really limiting themselves based on, you know, a local, they're not, you know, just trying to go local. They're having like a national quality type broadcast. One, one interesting name I've heard thrown out there is Brent Barry. 
I I would uh, say that based on my conversations, that probably is not going to happen. But uh, Calabro and Brent Barry are my my dream was always when the Sonics came back that that would be the broadcast partnership because those two guys are great friends and both really good broadcasters. Yeah, uh, no, that that would be great. Uh, Brent Barry during summer league, I doing the the starters challenge. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst thing about being at Summer League is I never get to hear the starters challenge. That, that this was the first time I, I'd, I'd heard it in a, in a few years, and he was he was always sneaking in like the like a Seinfeld quote here, or whatever those guys, whatever the starters told him to say. I mean, he was so good at it. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure I would be very happy with Brett Barry, but obvi- obviously, I, I, I trust you uh, and your your conversations and the information. Uh, and you also. Uh, have done uh, did a podcast with ESPN. Uh, I know it's a it, it's a it, an important subject to, near and dear to your heart. About you know it's been ten years since the Sonics, uh, you know, and and so the 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 podcast. And can you tell people about that podcast and where they can listen to it? You know, kind of a his, an NBA history podcast for for fans. Yeah, so Monday was the 10th anniversary of the sale with the Sonics to the ownership group from Oklahoma City led by Clay Bennett. And, uh, you know, that was obviously a very emotional day along with then uh, almost two years later when the team actually got approval to move to Oklahoma City. And uh, we were able to round up Royce Young, who covers the Thunder for us from OKC, and then Baxter Holmes, who is uh, went to call grew up in Oklahoma, went to high school, and went to college there. Went, went to college actually with Royce, and then was a season ticket holder for the Thunder their first year. But also, in a weird twist, grew up a big time Sonics fan because he was born in Everett, Washington. So we had kind of like one and a half of the Seattle perspective and one and a half of the Oklahoma City perspective, and able to just talk about everything. You know, ten years later, the implications on both sides of of that day and everything that's happened since and a very interesting time to revisit it, obviously after uh, Kevin Durant left the thunder for the warriors. So yeah, I, I thought it was, it came off very well. I've got a lot of great feedback about that and you can check it out. It's on, uh, on the true Hoop podcast network and you can find that among other places on the ESPN app. Boom. Uh, this is, uh, uh, great time, Kevin. Uh, thanks for coming on. Kevin Pelton from ESPN Insider. Anything else you want to plug uh, where they can find your work, your, your your great analysis that I always look to and all fans should look to and subscribe to and, and, and get that ESPN Insider membership because it is worth it. Uh, I appreciate the plug. Uh, also, at K Pelton on Twitter. And then I'll throw out here, haven't gotten a lot of traction, but I do have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash kpelton. You can, that's a, a good archive for all of my uh, articles since they're not always easy to find on the ESPN homepage. All right. Well, Kevin Pelton, ESPN Insider, joined us. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson. You can find my stuff at Blazer's Edge. I covered the team for a long time, and I will be back again later this week with another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.